0: Welcome back to the Maroon Weekly. It is Sunday, November 24th, and we are at the conclusion of eighth week heading into ninth week. As always, I'm Ron. I'm Isaac.
1: I'm Matthew.
2: And I'm Ruth.
0: We've got quite a few stories to cover today, so let's jump straight into it. Isaac, you've got a story about the Hong Kong Study Abroad program, right? Right. So the university canceled its winter of 2020 Hong Kong
3: Study Abroad program in response to recent political unrest. And the students who signed up for this program instead have the option of enrolling in a replacement program at the U Chicago Center in Paris or being refunded, according to an email sent out last Monday from the program's coordinator. And this particular program was oriented towards economics and finance. This same email offered participants the possibility of financial assistance to cover the potential increase in travel expenses, which would be evaluated on an individual basis according to a university statement in Maroon. The statement also said that despite relocation, the program in Paris will continue to offer classroom instruction on experimental economics, banking, and finance, as well as opportunities to engage with international economies. These protests began in June and have recently turned towards university campuses. Last week, protesters turned several university campuses into temporary camps, and police blockaded protesters inside the Hong Kong Polytechnic Institute.
1: So are other schools doing the same thing as us because of the political unrest? Yeah,
3: so Georgetown University ended its two study abroad programs in Hong Kong last week due to escalations and clashes between police and protesters, according to its student paper, the Hoya, as did Syracuse University. Stanford University, on the other hand, canceled its Hong Kong program before the fall term began in late August. And this kind of mirrors their move in March of 2016, when the university moved its Istanbul-based Civilization Study Abroad program to the center in Paris after a bombing occurred in a shopping center one week before the program was scheduled to begin. And in the email to participants, the program detailed that the Spring 2020 Hong Kong program has not yet been affected.
0: Matt, you've got a story about the CBA coalition?
1: Yeah. So, the Obama Presidential Center Community Benefits Agreement or CBA coalition, recently did a prayer vigil and protest outside of a city meeting on affordable housing at the AKA Rama building on South Ingleside Avenue. This meeting's objective was to determine the city's affordable housing strategy in areas near the Obama center. And um, that's why the CBA chose that meeting.
2: So what is the CBA?
1: They're a group of organizations that have gotten together mainly to try and push forwards their ordinance, which would state that at least 30% of all housing within a two-mile radius of the Obama Presidential Center would have to be affordable for low-income residents, the creation of an anti-displacement task force, the establishment of a community trust fund for affordable housing, and finally, property tax relief for low- and middle-income residents. Opponents of the CBA have raised concerns that this may concentrate poverty in the area, and dampen the potential economic stimulus that the Obama Presidential Center could bring. Former President Obama himself has come out against the CBA, saying that the Obama Presidential Center will be a positive economic stimulus to the South Side. The University of Chicago's official stance has also voiced concerns about the CBA, saying in a July statement that they have concerns with the ordinance as currently proposed. The people that were protesting outside of the AKA-Rama meeting includes a contingent from the U Chicago Against Displacement, RSO, a.k.a. UCAD. They are a member organization of the CBA coalition and stand with them against possible displacement that the Obama Presidential Center could bring.
0: Cool. Shifting gears a little bit, Ruth, you've got a story about the Oriental Institute?
2: That's right. Nearly 1,800 artifacts kept in the Oriental Institute for over 80 years were returned to Iran this September. The artifacts were from a collection of tablets known as the Persepolis Fortification Archive, which were found in Iran in the 1930s by the Oriental Institute scholars. Named after the ancient city of Persepolis, the tablets contained information about an ancient Iranian empire, the Achaemenid Empire. According to the Oriental Institute's website, the empire was the largest of the empires in the ancient Near East and extended from the Balkans and Egypt to India and Central Asia. It collapsed in 330 BCE following a Macedonian invasion led by Alexander the Great. Although some news reports have classified the artifacts' return as repatriation, the Oriental Institute argues that the museum never claimed ownership over the items, instead having loaned the artifacts from the Iranian government for study with the intent of returning them. Now back in Iran, 110 of the returned artifacts are on display at the National Museum of Iran in Tehran.
0: And our last story for today has to do with student counseling and the construction of a new health and wellness center, which has begun and is set to be complete autumn quarter of next year. The wellness center will move student health service, student counseling service, and health promotion and wellness into one new location and will adjoin the current part of the hospital, which houses student health offices.
2: What sparked the construction of a new health and wellness center?
0: Increasing enrollment into the college made it so that current office spaces for personnel aren't large enough, and also a new centralized building will offer more space and remove any confusion about where students need to go to receive care. The wellness center will also act as a workspace and act as a meeting place for wellness activities. So will any new personnel be hired? The university is currently in the process of hiring an additional psychologist and director of diversity, inclusion, and outreach. So that's all we have for you guys this week. As always, I'm Ron.
3: I'm Isaac. I'm Matthew. And I'm Ruth.
0: Music for the Weekly is produced by Andrew Dietz, Aaron Senden, and Kenny talbot Levega. Thank you to the Logan Cage for the provision of the audio recording space. Be sure to follow us on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, and have a wonderful ninth week. See you later.